Hey, welcome to the Changing the Perception of Sales podcast. This podcast is designed to get people in the sales industry, so not just global leaders or directors, but people in sales doing the role day in, day out, talking about their journey, things they've learned, and advice for people early on in their career or who are interested in getting into it. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Kyle. And for too long, people have just been falling into sales. But through this podcast, we're looking to educate and inspire the next generation of sales leaders, change the perception of sales, and make it a career of choice. On today's episode, we're joined by Alex Harris, an account executive at Fret Connect. Unlike most, it was Alex's intention to start a career in sales, and he'll be sharing his reasons why on today's episode. Alex was the first BDR in EMEA for Threat Connect, so has learned a lot during his time there. If you want to know what resources to look at for your own personal development, how to even begin thinking about cold call scripts and cadences, or even to know what cultural differences to look out for when selling into different territories, there'll be something in this episode for you. Welcome to the Changing the Perception of Sales podcast series. Today, we're joined by Alex Harris. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Really excited to be here. Nice one. Thanks, Alex. And just to, you know, a great way to kick things off, really, if you could just give us kind of a brief introduction to you, your role and what it is that uh, Threat Connect does, that'd be great. Yeah, of course. So um, my name is Alex Harris. I'm an account executive at Threat Connect. Uh, got recently promoted about two months ago into the AE role. Um, and Threat Connect is an organization. We're a cybersecurity vendor. Um, so main goal is to keep companies out of the headlines in the news. Um, but our focus is all around uh, giving organizations intelligence or information around potential threats that are out there and then just helping them to, to respond to a lot of those threats. Um, because we know that it's a pretty difficult process for them to uh, manage the ever-changing threat landscape that is getting worse and worse day by day. And you may see that in the headlines uh, at the moment. Perfect, Alex. And um, so starting at the beginning then, why did you get into sales? Good question. Um, So I actually had the probably weird uh, journey that not many people do is I actually chose to go into sales. Um, So I started... um, my sales journey, I guess, in recruitment when I was working on a placement year um, for a recruitment agency that specialized in graduate recruitment um, and spent three or four months uh, working in the sales team of the recruitment team, placing sales candidates. Uh, And at which point I kind of realized, hang on a second, um, as much as I really do enjoy recruitment, this sounds pretty exciting. I really want to work for a a fast growth SaaS company that potentially maybe allow me to be first on the ground as an SDR, build out a bit of a function, and then hopefully that fast growth route to the AE and closing role, uh, which I've been lucky enough to have, um, would be sort of a great career path for me, but also then got sort of images of managing sales teams in the future. So perhaps, yeah, breaking that um, common route of falling into sales, as you guys often talk about, um, I actually chose to, to, to move into sales and, and sort of not, not necessarily falling into it, but chose to move into it. It's really interesting to say that because, yeah, as you said, it does kind of break some um, preconceptions that we do have of the sales industry. I'm quite intrigued, though, because you mentioned so you kind of started off your sales career in your industrial placement at rec- in recruitment. Um, what actually made you choose to go into that in the first place? So I'll be honest, um, I actually had a pretty tough time looking for a placement year, um, which it might sound like a bit weird, but I was originally looking into shipbroking, uh, which is a pretty niche industry. Um, I had this vision when I was younger that we had a family friend and my godfather was working in shipbroking and I was really fascinated by international trade and international sort of, um, yeah, trade of, of 
exports and imports of goods. Um, it's a very niche industry, and you'll be surprised to find out that not many companies do offer placement years in that uh, in that space. Uh, one or two do. I applied for them, and it was a very competitive um, sort of application process. I was pretty unsuccessful. Uh, and then one of my friends, who I actually end up living with now in London, um, had got a placement at a recruitment agency, and he was like, "Hey, mate, I really think." recruitment something you'd, you'd enjoy like I think you'd do pretty well in it uh, let me refer you and you have a come and have a chat and I was like well can't do any harm in that it was quite late on in my year of second year I was like oh am I gonna have to go back to uni next year um, so I ended up having a chat with them sort of realized actually yeah hang on a minute this is really in line with what I want to do in in a role um, and I, I sort of thought hang on a minute this is actually something that's going to really fit what I want to do so Although I did kind of fall into the recruitment space, um, my set my choice to fall into sales was was a bit more sort of structured, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess there's there's so many parallels between recruitment and sales. And you mentioned so going into recruitment initially, that's um, actually speaking to people in that you you realised that's what you actually did want to do. What actually was it that you did want to do, and how did you kind of carry that on into your sales career? Yeah, so I mean, I think when I first looked at sales as, a, as an option so I did still consider recruitment after uni um, it wasn't a case of I didn't want to look at recruitment at all um, but then the more and more I started speaking to people I still start I actually started speaking to people uh, prior to COVID happening in my final year of uni uh, about SDR roles but the nature of the SDR role is that they hire very quickly and very much just before they actually um, sort of want them to start so I was asking too far too soon to, to look into sales so I had to basically be patient and then lo and behold COVID came about in three or four months before I was due to finish uni which wasn't ideal uh, so I was a bit concerned about my prospects of getting a job um, straight out of uni uh, which is my sort of initial plan was to finish and straight into it to work um, but my plan was definitely to join a, a fast growth SaaS startup um, was a bit industry agnostic at that point um, and then the more and more COVID sort of started to develop, I was like, hang on a minute, I need to think about an industry that's pretty sort of future proof and something that's not going to be potentially impacted by another potential sort of catastrophic event in the globe, whatever that might be, I don't know. Um, so I knew that cybersecurity was a, a booming industry. Um, it's something that's becoming more and more concerning as people sort of develop and become more digital. And I sort of came into contact with a company like ThreatConnect and, and realized, hang on a minute, this is something that I really want to sort of move into. And I was lucky enough to be the first BDR or SDR on the ground. Um, and that's where I realized, yeah, this is an opportunity I really want to move forward with because I wanted to be able to have that ownership of building a function from scratch, um, albeit perhaps a bit green on the edges for myself, not really knowing and not done self-development before. But I had a pretty good understanding of what might need to be required from someone that's joining first on the ground. Perfect. Sounds good. And we'll go into that in a lot more depth, um, I think a little bit later, um, into kind of building up the function and obviously the advice for the job search. Um, but obviously before you actually got into, um, I suppose, your recruitment or sales career, what was your actual perception of the industry? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know a whole, a great lot about it. Um, my dad had spent a few years in recruitment early on in his career, so he'd given me a bit of insight in terms of what recruitment was like. But in terms of sales, it, you obviously do get some of those perceptions from like, there's th certain things that are talked about that salesmen are just out there to try and do you over and uh, just grab a bit, a bit of money and, and sort of cash the, the commission and, and run off with your uh, with your money. Obviously, that's something that you kind of hear when you're younger. And uh, perhaps it's uh, an opinion that uh, the older generations maybe um, see in salespeople. But um, I obviously started to realize that that wasn't really the case when you start looking at kind of solution-based selling, problem-based selling, and actually becoming a trusted advisor. 
as many people would like to call themselves in the, in the industry or in sales. Um, and I, I started to realize that it wasn't quite like that. And obviously you may get one or two salespeople that like that, but realistically the, the broad majority aren't actually like that. And it's really about trying to find a, a solution to a really complex problem and ultimately find a solution to the problem that is actually important to that prospect because um, there's no point in giving them a solution that doesn't actually solve a problem that they've got. Uh, and that's where I started to realize that my problem solving kind of interest in finding a sort of pretty complex solution to perhaps a very complex problem was something that I'd really enjoy doing. Perfect. And that's exactly why we are doing the podcast. Um, people do have this um, preconception of, of the sales industry and it's always like that sleazy salesman um, image that a lot of people have. But yeah, it is a, a complex um role to have and you are solving problems you are really really asking a lot of questions and solving these complex problems for these prospects um, and obviously you went to threat connect with a little bit of relevant experience i mean what types of skills do you think you gained from your placement here in recruitment do you think really benefited you in your bdr role yeah as so i think um a bit of an understanding of like the general sort of uh, perception of oh, sorry not perception but the general sort of business you get a bit of a foundation as to how a business functions right like before that i was very green i knew very little about how a business runs i studied an international relations degree uh, which is very heavily political sort of focus um i didn't really know a whole lot i obviously speak to my dad a fair amount but who works in business but it was pretty sort of little in terms of what i knew recruitment gave me a fantastic grounding in terms of how a business works i was placing people into different roles in different organizations so i started to really understand how businesses work um, and then that three or four month period where I was placing sales candidates into sales roles, I really started to understand what a sales function looked like in terms of top to bottom. So SDR all the way through to sales, sort of um, AE, sales management, um, sales development management, and then VP, et cetera, CRO. So it gave me a really good foundation into understanding what the sales function looked like moving forward and, and, and sort of moving into a potential sales role. Perfect. And I think a lot of, I suppose, a lot of graduates that might be listening to this um, may not know that. They may look at the kind of graduate or entry level roles and think, um, oh, perfect, SDR roles, that's kind of what I need to go into, but not really know where they can go after that. And I think progression and, and the routes that you can take after, like, you know, once you've mastered that role and can really progress from it, um, it's really important to know that there's so much progression in sales. I mean, you can really take, go a long way um, with the career path. Um, and actually on that then, a lot, as I said, a lot of people listening to, the, listening to this may be ready to step into their first sales role. What advice would you actually give for their job search going forward? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of advice I could potentially give because it's uh, the job search is tough, right? And um, there's a few things that I think are really important to focus on. And um, first thing I'd say is don't jump at your first opportunity um, because more often than not, as a graduate, you might be really eager to get into a job and you might think, yeah, uh, first offer I get, oh my God, I want to take it. I want to get into a job. Like, I don't care what it is. Actually take a step back and think, hang on a minute, is this the right opportunity for me? Is this organization the right fit for me? Uh, is it a company I want to work for? Do I find sort of do I align with the problem they're solving for their customers? And that's a big thing that I really looked into was, is the problem that this organization is solving something that I feel passionate about, I can get behind? Uh, because if you can't feel passionate and don't feel like they're actually solving a genuine problem for your prospects, it's very hard to get on the phone and try and flog some software to someone uh, when you don't really think it's gonna solve a problem for them. Uh, in terms of advice to job seekers and active job seekers, I think there's a, there's a few kind of really actionable things that you can do when it comes to um, interviewing, et cetera. So just do your research. It sounds simple, but like so many people don't do it. 
and just look your look your company up, find out what they're doing, look at their blog posts, look if they're featured in the news at all, look at your people you're interviewing with, look at their background, where have they gone, where have they come from, why why have they been there for ten years, for example? Like clearly something's keeping them there. You want to know that, right? So why are they there for that? Why have they been there for that long? Um, and I think there's some like key things that people forget to prepare in terms of questions that you should expect to ask. And I used to have a bank of about 20 questions that I knew more or less in one way or another, they would come up in an interview. So really understand like why you want to work for that company, why you, exactly why that role, like that, that's a big thing for me that I had to separate in all of my interviews is that why the company and why the role are such different questions. And very, very, very often people confuse why they want to work for the company as to why they want to do the job. Um, I think that having that separation is important. And the final one is ask interesting questions. There's nothing worse than getting to the end of an interview and the interview going, hey, have you got any questions? And you go, oh yeah, what's the holiday like? Or what are the working hours? It's just not, it's just not going to get you the job. Like ask interesting questions. So like, what does a successful first year look like to you? Um, what sort of training do you offer in terms of hands-on training to your junior entry level candidates or, um, ask questions that really make them think, but also then ask personal questions. So what made you choose that particular organization over all the other types of marketing agencies that are out there? Whatever it might be, you want to make sure that you're asking them personal questions as well as questions that help you understand whether the opportunity is right for you. And then the two final questions, if you're going for a sales interview is you've got to ask for feedback. If you don't ask for feedback, you're, you're ludicrous basically, because uh, you're never going to know how to improve. And the second one is you've got to close them. You've got to close them down and ask if you've, if you've, if you've progressed or if you've actually moved forward to an offer stage. Um, and those two questions for sales leaders will get them really kind of fired up because they're like, yeah, this guy wants to close me out. Like he knows what he's doing. And especially if you're interviewing with American VPs, like I had a couple of interviews where I was interviewing with the UK or EMEA team, but I went and met with some of the American VPs. And Americans absolutely love being closed properly hard. So if, you, if you're ever interviewing with American VPs of sales, I recommend closing them hard at the end of an interview. Perfect. And that's some really, really good advice. I think a lot of people will take so much away from them, particularly the, the closing at the end of the interview. I always find it um, funny because if you're going into a sales interview, if you actually imagine yourself in a sales role, imagine doing all the work with the prospect, asking all the questions, finding out exactly what they want, and then you just don't ask for the business. It's like the same as an interview, I feel. Um, you have to do all that fact-finding and you've done all the work. Now you actually just need to go and close it. Um, so it's an interesting point there, but I think you've touched on some really, really good um, things that a lot of people will take away from that. Um, and also, you know, I know you mentioned before, so starting at Threat Connect, you were the first on the ground, um, something that you really wanted to do as well, um, something that you were quite excited to do um, in the UK, particularly outbound as well. What was that actually like, being the first one there? Yeah, I mean, it was like awesome experience. My first six weeks, I was fully on my own in, in terms of the only SDR. And um, I joined a very, very new team, like from top to bottom. Uh, historically, our business is founded in the US and much of the investment in terms of people, resources, etc., has been very much in the US. Um, we had a few sales guys in the UK, but um, for one reason or another, team moved on and essentially brought a new VP in around 14 months ago. Um, and he was set the task of hiring a completely brand new team uh, to build and scale the full EMEA region. Um, so he brought in, so the VP comes from like a huge consulting background. So some of the largest consulting organizations in sort of in the world in terms of cybersecurity. Uh, and then he brought in three very senior sellers who have been sort of working similar consulting backgrounds. So not so much the SaaS, but more in selling consulting programs and uh, transformation programs. Uh, and then it was essentially me uh, and the VP 
uh, working out how we how we do this wholesale development thing. Um, so the first six weeks, it was pretty interesting uh, because it was basically like, well, I've not really touched or managed SDRs ever. Uh, I've managed big sales teams of kind of senior sellers. And I was like, well, uh, okay, no worries. Well, I'll try and find out how we do this thing then. Um, so I read a lot. I read a lot about how to build a sales development function. Um, I read blogs. I read books, you name it, I kind of tried to really immerse myself in understanding what it takes to build a successful sales development function. I reached out to other SDRs or other SDR BDR team leads uh, elsewhere, other organizations, just to pick their brains on how they're doing things, what, what's their approach, what's their strategy. And then I sort of started to sort of build out a bit of a plan in terms of, okay, well, these are the cadences I want to build. These are the emails or the, the cold call scripts I want to build. Um, these are the personas that we want to target. And this is in partnership with some of the senior sellers in terms of persona building out. But the cadences and, and the cold, cold call scripts, that's not something that my senior the senior sellers at my organization and the VP had done before because they worked in organizations where a lot of the time they come to you for your business because it's a big name. It's an industry known name. They know who you are. They know you do the services and they, they just come to you basically. Um, so I was pretty much on my own for six weeks. Then I got another BDR and we went to town together uh, and basically um, started to, to transform our sales development function of a for sort of primarily inbound to fully outbound um, with some inbound complementing that. Uh, and we saw some fantastic success towards the end of like Q3, Q4 last year and earlier this year uh, where we really started to sort of fire on all cylinders really nice one love that plenty of things um i want to dig into a little bit more there alex and i love that you said we we went to town as well I thought that was brilliant <laughs> uh, but i think uh, one of the key things you said that you got in touch with other bdrs team leads sdrs and i think a lot of people they know maybe scared about asking other people for help and their opinions and advice so just for anyone listening to this that's maybe in your position or will be in your position in the future how i suppose forthcoming and open were people with giving you information and help and guidance when you were seeking it oh huge like everyone was more than more than happy and welcome to giving help and offering their services in terms of look it was always a simple ask saying like hey i'm really new to this situation um i kind of need a bit of guidance because i've not really got much from from up top um what what's what was your what was your strategy what was your plan when you kind of started this journey of building a sell, an outbound sales development function um and more often than not you might get 15 minutes might get half an hour some people even spent an hour talking to you just explaining their process and their and their situation so uh, you'd be surprised there's a bit of a sales community and i think especially in the uk at the moment the sdr like world is is booming uh, and there's just more and more sdrs coming in and and i think organizations are really starting to see the value of bringing on junior graduate talent in the in the sales sort of function yeah, no, it's good. I think for, for anyone that's um, looking to improve, just ask people for help and you'll be surprised. Most people will give you, you know, albeit maybe 15 minutes, they will give you their time. So it's definitely worth it. Alex, I know in the past I've asked you for uh, kind of a bit of advice and thoughts on something as well. And people are more more than happy to help and give up a little bit of their time for sure. And going on to what you said then about the cadences, the cold call scripts, the emails, obviously you kind of, you know, seek advice from other people. But for again, for someone else that's the first outbound BDR or SDR in a business or role like this, what should they consider when they are looking to completely come up with cold call scripts and cadences from scratch? Like, how would you even go about that process? Yeah, so I mean, as I said, I, I read a lot. Um, I tried to immerse myself in as many sort of thought leadership, um, sort of, I guess, scripts out there, trying to find out what works, what doesn't work. And I think finding a lot of variation is really, really key, right? Because there's no silver bullet for anything uh, in, in sales, unfortunately. And it's a it's a matter of testing, but also then finding your style because um, 
there's no nothing worse than trying something that just clearly doesn't fit your style. Um, so I also started to follow a lot of sales leaders on on LinkedIn, and sales leaders tend some tend to post quite a lot of content on LinkedIn that's absolutely invaluable. Um, but in terms of the way I structured my cadences and my cold call scripts, I was 100% focused on being a problem first um, kind of person and kind of sort of sales method. Um, because a lot of the time you you hear and you, you speak to people that are, hey, it's Alex calling from Threat Connect, we're this, 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 this. And people are like, whoa, hang on a second, I don't even know who Threat Connect are. Uh, whereas actually if you, and this goes the same for in emails, right, is if you actually leave with the problems, hey, look, typically when I speak to people in your role, despite their success, they face X and Y challenge. Uh, and the same in an email, like I know that when I speak to people like yourself, they face these types of challenges, like really curious to understand where you see yourself aligning with those challenges. It really helps you to let them do the talking and let them do the, oh yeah, that's really a problem for me. Actually, that problem is not so much of a problem, but this one is. And you start to get them talking and self-selecting where they might fall into your kind of solution and where you might be able to help them. Uh, and I think if you are problem focused and you lead with problems, you're much, much more likely to get the prospects to align to your solution because if you're able to explain the value of solving that problem if they can tell you the impact of what it would happen what would happen if they solve that problem you've got an easy way to basically say look we can certainly help you let's spend some time uh, learning a bit more about what we can do for you yeah no i think it's really good advice and almost put yourself in the shoes of your potential buyer like almost live a day in their life and think about you know the frustrations or challenges that they're facing and then lead with those problems and challenges when you're looking to sell we still get cold calls into the office all the time where it's we do this we do that and it's like i'm not really interested in that what can you do to benefit me i probably would be interested in or to solve a problem i'm having um you mentioned you you know read a lot followed a lot of thought leaders on linkedin if you had to give i don't know one or two either books or people on linkedin or you know, certain bits of content that have really helped um, or define your sales career so far, what, what would they be? Yeah, so I think um, definitely out there is going to be problem prospecting by the guys over at Refract. Um, yeah. I know that a lot of people um, have said that it's a very actionable um, set of tips. And, and I, I, yeah, I think the book is, uh, it speaks for itself. It gives a lot of very actionable um, and very usable tips that simply you won't get in a lot of other sales books because a lot of other sales books are very much methodology and the science behind sales. Whereas this is just like, this is just actionable tips that any SDR can take and even AEs as well. And senior leaders can take to, to their sales teams and, and, and just action them straight away into their sort of uh, workflow. So problem prospecting has got to be out there. Um, and the guys are a fact post great content on, on LinkedIn. Um, and obviously a lot of their focus is on call recording, but I think they still post some, some great sales tips and advice. Um, Callum Henderson over at uh, Engage um, posts some great content and um, posted a lot of videos earlier on this year in terms of simple sound bites and advice. Um, so I'd, I'd certainly recommend having a look at Callum Henderson. And then there's obviously lots of very good US focused um, sales leaders. Uh, Carl Coleman over at um, Clary posts great content. Um, I always take a lot of the, American advice and sometimes the people that sell to sales and marketing with a bit of a pinch of salt um, often because what there is a clear difference when you're selling to sales and marketing folks to cybersecurity. Uh, and I know when you spoke to Aaron, this topic came up, um, Aaron Baker at Clean. Um, it's a clear difference between selling to sales and marketing uh, versus people that are like data engineering or cybersecurity uh, because they're just different types of people on, on the disk um, sort of framework. 
Yeah, cool. Um, some really good resources there for anyone listening to this. Free resources for you to go and develop and obviously the problem prospecting book as well. Um, I've read that. I would definitely re- recommend anyone to buy that. It's an easy read. And like you said, it's um, just so actionable. Like it's not too much theory. It's not too much science led. It's just do this and you will see an improvement in your results. Um, so I would agree. Definitely get in, get involved with that from the guys at Refract. Um, one thing to touch on, Alex, kind of coming onto resources and, and advice you've launched your own with with Aaron who's been on the podcast um your kind of own vidcast really looking to help the sales community so what was the motivation um behind you and Aaron looking to set that up yeah I mean to be honest it kind of started out nothing uh, Aaron and I um used to and still speak every week pretty much um for like half an hour to 45 minutes depending on the week whether what's happened and and what's gone down um and the, the initial thing was we both started in very new sales development functions, both as SDRs. Aaron admittedly had a bit more sales experience than myself, um, but we were just trying to bounce ideas off each other, right? So how do we get around this objection? How can we improve this? How can we do this? Uh, and really, it was just a back and forth saying, this has happened in my week. Like, what would you have done differently? Uh, and it was just a pure conversation every week, just trying to catch up, trying to learn from each other, because I knew that Aaron was a very smart guy and he he knew what he was doing. He had more sales experience than me. And I was looking to learn from someone that's that's bigger and better than me uh, in the sales world. So I was like, I'm trying to look to improve. But then we started to realize that we were getting a lot of value from conversations because you've got another set of eyes trying to tell you that you could have done this differently, you could have done this differently and giving each other feedback on how we can improve. And we thought, well, what, like, we're, we're getting so much value from this. We're improving so much. Why don't we just try and make this public and, and see what we can do in terms of getting other people to learn from what we're doing, whether that be our mistakes or our uh, our successes. Uh, and yeah, we kicked it off to try and share some sort of give something back to the community really because uh, a lot of us or both of us had certainly spent a lot of time speaking to other people in the sales community that have been able to help us as well. Cool. I think it's really good. I've seen, uh, seen a couple of them. I think I mentioned the one about uh, where you almost relate sales to being a doctor as well and kind of prescribing a solution for that was, you know, really, really good and clever and some actionable advice there for people. Um, you mentioned then, you kind of started by talking about the mistakes that you had both been making and how you overcame them. Putting you on the spot a little bit here, but in your sales career, what would you say has been the biggest mistake that you've made so far? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I was getting a bit eager um, early on in my career and someone put me on the spot. I think it was a CISO. Uh, and I used to get, admittedly, I used to get a bit nervous when I was calling some of the CISOs because you see them on LinkedIn and they're kind of this big chest out profile picture on LinkedIn. And you're like, oh, God, this guy can't probably is not going to like me if I call him. And CISOs don't tend to like too many cold calls either. So, um, yeah, I called him and he was like, right, what would you cost? Straight out of the blocks. And I was just like, oh, my God, what do I say? What do I say? Because this was quite early on and I just gave him a price. Uh, and he was like, right, I'll take a demo. Uh, and we were way off the mark um, in terms of what I'd said. Um, and obviously that kind of was a bit of a fire to put out later in the conversation uh, when he was like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll move forward if it costs this much. And I completely um, missed the mark in terms of what I'd said. And it was a bit of an awkward conversation. Um, but I learned from it. I learned not to to give your cards away too soon and say, look, use the use the pricing sort of aspect saying, hey, what do you cost? There's a look, really, really like, appreciate that you want to understand how much we cost obviously because everyone wants to know whether they can fit this into their budget or not um why don't we take this forward to a, a more in-depth conversation where you can actually learn a bit more about the solution we provide and, and how it may solve some problems and then we can take it into a conversation of what it might cost you um so using that as an anchor and say look really understand you want to use price as a as an important sort of point in terms of whether we're going to be a, r- a right fit for you 
why don't we take it to a more sort of formalized conversation with someone that can talk to you more eloquently about price um and it's it's served me good in the in the long run because i learned from it and uh, i learned not to do it again um so uh, yeah that's probably my biggest mistake no yeah that's really good um, and love kind of how you explained how you would go about that objection now it's something we get quite a lot in recruitment actually as well you know before you'd even explain the value you add how much do you cost it's like you know, it's good. it is quite a difficult objection to to overcome um you mentioned as well we get this quite a lot on the podcast about a nervousness with cold calling particularly when you start you mentioned them being quite honest you know you were nervous you know calling CISOs probably very technical experienced well-educated people so what advice you know based on your experience would you give to someone that's maybe just started a sales role maybe someone who's still in sales you know potentially still nervous cold calling you know what's kind of helped you overcome that barrier calling these really senior people yeah I think it's a very common thing to be nervous and i think some people just some people don't have the nervousness at all and others it's it's very much like a you either have it or you don't right uh, from what from my experience and some people might have it initially and then it kind of fades away um but in terms of in terms of advice i think the biggest thing you can do is um a get your dials in the more conversations you have the more confident you get like that's just no non-negotiable for me like the more you do it the, the better you get the more sort of the more the nervousness goes away because you've, you've experienced it all, you've been told to go away, you've been told whatever it might be, it, it, that just gets better and better. Uh, in terms of other advice, I think, try not to psych yourself up. Like It's a very common thing. Like Talk to, your, talk to them like your mates, talk to them like you're down the pub. They like going for a drink at the pub. Um, that's a very, I guess, a lot of people say that. Um, and it's hard to get your head around that because you do see these big level, C-level execs that have got years and years of experience. They're clearly very successful and you think oh my god they're gonna hate me because i'm calling them um and a lot of the time you can just be quite candid and say look i appreciate my interruption uh, don't suppose you've got 30 seconds for me to explain the reason by call whatever you want to use to try and break that barrier down um and try not to let the nervousness come through in your voice because the moment they hear or sense nervousness in your voice is the moment that they know that they can bend you over backwards and you'll be you'll be sort of off the phone in less than 10 seconds so try not to let that come through but i think the key thing in the early stages of your of your sort of sales career especially is is volume uh, the more conversations you have the quicker you'll learn uh, and often you can use your lack of product knowledge or lack of knowledge as a really great way to say well look um if this conversation this conversation sounds like it's getting quite technical why don't we bring the experts in and we can have a really more sort of in detailed formalized conversation as to what this solution might look like for you if you were to implement it uh, and using that as again as an anchor to to push them into a further conversation especially when you're in the sdr world yeah cool no i think that's really really good stuff there alex and um i think most people get nervous because you almost like manifest something as being worse um, or more fearing than it actually is and i agree with you the more dials you do i.e the more familiar you become with doing something over and over again the less nervous you will probably become over time but if you build something up as this really scary, nerve-wracking thing, then that's when the nerves actually build up. So yeah, just to think, do it and get your dials in will certainly help with that nerves that you have at the beginning for sure. Um, we touched on earlier about kind of the differences between selling to maybe cybersecurity professionals and sales and marketing. I agree, you know, it's completely different in your approach. Um, one thing we've talked about before is maybe some of the cultural differences in selling to different countries, different territories. So I suppose, how have you learned the hard way when selling into different countries in, in the EMEA region? And what are some of the kind of key, maybe noticeable differences you've kind of picked up from your experiences? And I think this is important because a lot of sales teams, particularly maybe as a result of COVID, businesses have pivoted maybe, and that's selling into new territories. So kind of what are some of the noticeable 
cultural differences you've you've picked up yeah so i think it's important to know that we are more alike than we are different um i think a lot of the time we big it up and think oh we're so different um everything's so different but actually we're, we're more alike than we are uh, than we are different i think it's the first thing to bear in mind obviously there are cultural differences in terms of language currency public holidays um, I think I, the first one I picked up on was that I started calling into the UAE or the Middle East in, on Fridays and they're on weekend, Friday and Saturday. Uh, so I was politely told to go away, you're disturbing my weekend, uh, which is fair enough. Um, so that was quite probably one of the first ones I learned. Um, I think the, the second one is it in, in the European region, certainly in cybersecurity, they're very much partner and channel partner led. So they, they love transacting through the channel. Um, so you might get on a call you might start working a, a deal or an opportunity with someone and then they'll start asking you about who they try who, who your channel partners who your partners in the region uh, because they often like to buy through trusted advisors they call them or trusted partners um so in the european region you'll find that a lot of the time they'll be transacting through um yeah partners and that's something that we've learned is that the investment into your partner program or your channel program is super important. Uh, and obviously that does vary from industry to industry. Um, and the other things to bear in mind are um, sometimes in in certain some certain countries, they may take less well to, to phone calls. Um, and that's just the, the nature of the beast. It's just their cultural sort of directness. You might get a very direct answer, but actually they're not that bothered that you've called them. Um, and that's fine. Uh, another thing that we've run into as well is um, the differences in in labor cost across the, the region um, and when you're selling solutions that may cost significantly more than labor um, it's really important to bear that in mind because um, actually they and this is specifically for us we've, we've started to sort of focus in on specific countries where uh, actually labor cost exceeds the value of our solution because um, in a lot of countries certainly in, in the Eastern European region they can actually buy five more analysts for what it cost our platform, uh, which is basically you know, a pointless conversation for us unless they really are looking to remove the need for humans and putting in software instead, um, which is a bit of a, a difficult conversation to have sometimes. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a few things different. Uh, and especially one thing I'd recommend is in calling into Germany, uh, you'll need to call them before you email them uh, because their GDPR laws are such that you must call to request before you uh, to request to email them before you do email them. Um, so there's a few. You've had, I've had a few snotty emails from from some um, some prospects across the the European region around GDPR, but it's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Cool. Well, yeah, some really good uh, tips in there for anyone that's maybe selling into countries in Europe or uh, the Middle East. You know, do not call on Fridays because uh, that's <laughs> that's their weekend. Imagine how you would feel getting a call on the weekend. So, no, I think there's some re really good stuff. And I'd never thought about the point you mentioned about labour costs as well. You know, I think that's a really valid point and something that anyone that's kind of in a sales capacity should probably consider when when looking at different territories. Um, before we go into the final quick fire questions, Alex, just want to kind of touch on your recent promotion to AE. So obviously you started as a BDR, um, been promoted to an AE role. How have you found the transition and what advice would you give to anyone else that's kind of in a, in a similar situation to you? Yeah, so I mean, the transition has been somewhat potentially smoother than um, it might happen for other other organizations because um, my, B, my VP is a very much a believer of assuming a role before you actually fully transition into a role. So um, from January onwards, I was starting to dip my toes in the water of managing a couple of opportunities, albeit smaller than our typical deal size. Uh, so that I was starting to understand, okay, what goes on beyond booking that meeting. Um, and I think a lot of the time, 
in my first six months, I was sitting in a lot, sitting in on a lot of meetings. So I was actually watching demos and AEs run through initial meetings or discovery calls with prospects. So I got a really good understanding of what that looks like. We're also lucky enough to have a conversation recording tool that means that I can listen to hundreds of sales calls from around the globe in terms of our sales team and sales force um, to understand what goes on in those further conversations. Um, and I think I've had I've been very lucky to have the support of our senior sales team and also my VP to help me guide me through these initial phases of moving through into this role. Um, but that's not doesn't mean to say that I've not made mistakes along the way, right? It, there's always going to be mistakes and there's always going to be learning points. Um, but I think taking whatever success or loss as a learning point is really important in terms of uh, trying to understand how to progress and move forward into successfully transitioning to the AE role. And I think one key thing that I could take away is that, and this is something I definitely need to be better at, is to keep prospecting. Um, cold calls, you, you may drop your numbers, you may, need, you may only do 20 cold calls a day from whatever you were doing before, 60, 100. But it's really important to keep your finger on the pulse, keep sharp, but also start generating some of your own meetings, be that through partners or like just generating your own meetings through cold calls and emails because you'll have a hit list of top accounts you want to get into. Uh, and often as an AE, you know best because you've done it for 10, 12 months, whatever it might be, if not a year and a half, sometimes uh, you've got a really good insight as to how to best book meetings. Uh, but it can get hard because you've got that finger on, sorry, your eye on the thing that matters most, which is closing deals. Uh, so balancing that is, is a difficult act. Yeah, I know some really good stuff in there as well. I think um, still generating your own leads and, and meetings and opportunities is good. I think it sets a good example, to be fair, as well, for the SDRs and BDRs that are still in their role. And I like what you said about still making mistakes. I believe that if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not doing enough or you're probably not you know, trying enough things. You're probably too, too much in your comfort zone. So I think making mistakes is great, but it's all about how you learn from them. Um, like you said, with the example you uh, gave before about price as well. Um, Alex, we're kind of coming um, to the end now. So we've got some uh, quick fire questions we, we want to run through. And the first one is, what's the one tool or piece of tech that you could not live without? Phone. Love it. Nice. When you cold call a prospect, do you leave a voicemail? No. <laughs> Interesting. I kind of want you to expand on that. Just why? <laughs> um why spend 30 seconds to a minute uh, leaving a voicemail when you can spend that writing an email? Uh, and how many times do you get voicemails and you don't listen to them? I mean, I'm weird and I listen to most of my voicemails, but uh, especially if you've got people that are getting called 20, 30 times a day um, by different people, they're not going to listen to 30 voicemails when they get to the end of the day and they want to have their dinner. Fair enough. Nice. How would you sell sales as a career to a graduate? Possibly the best decision I've ever made. Um, it's a very, very well-rounded opportunity to get your teeth into all parts of the business, uh, but also understand how the lifeblood of a business works, right? Without sales, most businesses wouldn't do what they do. So you're really getting into the nitty gritty of what businesses need to, to drive revenue and also grow as, as organizations. But you get this ability to touch so many other departments of the business because it's so closely aligned to marketing you need to understand the finance aspect behind it you'll get to touch legal you get a lot of aspects that perhaps in other roles where you're solely focused on one department you just don't get that exposure appreciate that was a bit of a longer answer than a quick fire answer but <laughs> no good good stuff good uh, good pitch to be fair and then kind of finally what else needs to be done to change the perception of sales and make sure more people consider it as a career of choice? I think there's a few things that we could do. Um, I think 
obviously I know that in the States they do educate and they actually have degrees focused on sales and sales development and sales management, whatever it might be. Um, so that's one thing we could be doing more across the EMEA region. I know that I've, I certainly haven't heard of much in that space in the EMEA region so far. Um, the second thing I, need, I think we need to do is many more organizations need to give university sort of students the ability to work as industrial placement year students in an SDR role or a junior sales role, whether that be a sales administrator or something along those lines where they get the exposure to sales at an early stage. A lot of recruitment agencies do it. And I think they do a fantastic job of that because it gives some so many people the ability to do some type of sales uh, at an early stage. But I think more organizations need to be open to giving candidates the ability to do an SDR job while still at uni so that it promotes them to talk to their friends about it and tell their friends that oh, I'm working in sales, absolutely love it. Like I think you should look at it as well after uni. Um, and that should hopefully help multiply the number of people that may come in sales. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. No worries at all. Thank you. Amazing, Carl. So what did you think um, of that? Yeah, another great episode. Um, yeah, really liked a lot of the things that Alex had to say. And I think one of the key things, actually, a bit of a trend that we're finding now is the difference tends to be between the people that choose to go into sales and the people that fell into it actually tends to be their family. So Alex, you know, his, his dad worked in recruitment when he was younger. You know, he already had an understanding of what the industry was like, which meant that he didn't have the same perception of everybody else. So I think, you know, hopefully from the work that we're doing now, you know, in years to come, there will be more and more people choosing to get into sales through their family. But I still think there's more we need to do to change that perception now for those that don't have family members that work in the industry. And then another thing I really liked was um, it was quite clear to see that Alex has actually made a lot of mistakes. You know, he's not always got things right first time, but has done eventually. And I think it's no surprise he's doing so well because his mentality is just to give things a go and give things a try. And then when things don't work, you know, take feedback, learn from it and do it differently next time. You know, whether that be in his cold calling structure, whether that be in selling to different cultures or territories, you know, I think there was some really good stuff and kind of mindset stuff, mindset stuff really that people can take from that moving forward. So yeah, no, I thought it was a really good episode. What what were your kind of key takeaways, Lizzie? Yeah. And on that, on that mindset piece, I, I really liked how he just immerses himself in his career. So it's not just go in, do the job, go out. It's, you know, really immerse yourself, reading about sales, like really learning about how you can better yourself, following people on LinkedIn who are genuinely going to benefit your career. And I think a lot of people need to um, do that because it would just massively benefit you in your career and help you progress and and just help you be successful, essentially. Um, I also really like the tips, um, obviously, on the graduate side um, for getting into um, your your first sales role. It's so important to make sure it is the right opportunity for you. Um, So asking the right questions really, really and asking interesting questions as well, um, I think is really important. Um, and also closing at the end, getting feedback, not being afraid to just kind of, you know, use use techniques that you'd use in the sales role in your actual interviews. And um, I think it's really useful things that people looking to get into the industry um, can actually take forward. Thank you so much for listening to the Changing the Perception of Sales podcast. Please subscribe and follow for more. Um, If you like this content, also please check out This Is Prime on all our social media channels and also Kyle Gallagher and Lizzie Formisano on LinkedIn. See you next time.